0: Log Talk Radio. I stroll through the picture. What I've left behind. You want. I'm locked I'm up like in memories They all intertwine The memories In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that on will come We'll,
1: never know just what you've done. well, good evening, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to the Stop Child Abuse Now talk radio show sponsored by NASCA, which stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Penelope Venice and I am from Sarasota, Florida. I am also an adult survivor of child abuse. I welcome you this evening. It is Tuesday, January 30th, 2024, and this is scan number 3367. And the type of show we're having tonight is an open mic night with a survivor professional, which I am also the survivor professional this evening. Uh, I am a, um, a certified yoga, uh, mindfulness, and meditation instructor. been teaching at the college level for almost seven years, um, and it's a privilege to do so and uh, use a tool that has helped me tremendously in my own um, recovery um, um, process. Um, I'm still and will always be in recovery, and so I'm thrilled to share it with you this evening. I know we have a growing panel. I see you, Philip. Welcome, Philip. I'll unmute your mic. Welcome. Thank you for calling in tonight. Please, please call in. I am welcoming your calls. This is an open panel discussion. Um, The number to call in, as you know, call in any time during the show tonight. The number is area code 646-595-2118. Again, that number is area code 646-595-2118. And I'd be uh, delighted to have you join us. Um, Before I kick it off, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about NASCA because, as you know, NASCA is all about child abuse, trauma prevention, intervention, recovery. We have a single purpose at NASCA, and it's to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect, and we do so with two goals. The first goal is educating the public, especially as related to helping society Get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting facts, showing child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone. The second goal, offering hope and healing through numerous paths. We'll discuss one of those tonight. Providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested and the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. So, again, I invite you to join in our conversation this evening. The number is area code 646-595-2118. So um, thank you for calling in, Philip, and I have you on the line. I want to give you a brief overview of what I'd like to discuss tonight because we're talking about uh, healing modality that I know that we've discussed on the show uh, quite a bit, and I know a lot of you um, Other survivors, our our NASCA family and our listeners from all over the world have called in at various times. We've talked about how uh, mindfulness and meditation has helped us um, as we continue to recover as adult survivors of abuse. So I wanted to first just give a little bit of context around what is the difference between mindfulness and meditation? So mindfulness is about awareness. It requires us to be aware of what's around us and how our bodies feel. So in contrast, meditation is a practice that reels in our thoughts to calm the mind. The two terms, although they're similar, because they both aim to help our well-being, but the difference is that one which is mindfulness, encourages awareness. Other, meditation, works to create singular thoughts. So I'll discuss this a little bit more in depth as uh, the show progresses tonight. But I wanted to first focus um, more on just talking about why uh, this uh, mindfulness meditation um, help as a tool in recovery. There are so many benefits. And there's just so much information out there on the benefits um, of mindfulness. It's really hard to find um, any um, highly regarded um, medical institution that would disagree, um, whether you're looking at the Mayo Clinic, the Cleveland Clinic, um, the National um, Institutes of Health. They all tout mindfulness as meditation as incredible tools for helping um, uh, to manage um, trauma um, and heal from trauma. So I'm just going to top line the benefits and then we'll go into each one in a little bit more um, detail. So uh, mindfulness meditation help to manage depression. They help to reduce anxiety. They help with cognitive flexibility. We've also... Talked about neuroplasticity, uh, um, being able to rewire the brain after trauma. Um, mindfulness and meditation help to decrease anxiety, help to re, um, uh, in immune system response, um, and having and helping it a more with a more robust immune system. They help to lower stress, to improve attention, to improve. Sleep quality to lower blood pressure, to manage anxiety, to improve mood, to improve relationships, to help boost memory. We know memory has come up in terms of uh, different um, areas on the spectrum of dissociation. So uh, they help to um, manage negative sentiments, to reduce pain, to become more in touch with bodily sensation. Help regulate emotions and focus and to help manage chronic medical conditions to name a few of the benefits. So um, uh, before I go into more detail, you know Philip, I wanted to open up the mic. I know you said that it's something that you're starting to um, practice on a normal basis, and so I wanted to you know just just um, invite you into the conversation and see at this point if you have any comments or questions for me before I continue.
0: Um, how long for every day, how long a day does a professional meditator like yourself meditate?
1: That's a great question. And um, that's a great thing. Because, um, we will be touching on that and um, about not how long, but how would one start, you know, a meditation or mindfulness practice. So, you know, for me personally, I think it depends on um, how I'm feeling But I truly believe that even a few minutes in the morning to start the morning before I even get out of bed with just two or three minutes of a mindfulness practice helps to set the tone um, for my day. So even if it's an investment of three minutes to five minutes, I try and get that in in the morning before my feet hit the floor. And I actually try and take some um, imposed timeouts during the day take 30 seconds to a minute just to breathe, and I'll talk a little bit about breath work um, during our show tonight, because even just practicing some some breathing um, for a minute or two can help to regulate the nervous system and help, uh, you know, I think breathing in itself is a mindfulness practice. And at the end of the day, I try and wind down and transition from work to home, Um, and that and doing a mindfulness practice, being mindful of that transition. So I do that. I practice that a couple minutes, maybe two to three minutes. So my point is, is that I try to make it more of a pattern during the day, because I find if I can, we can do, we can find three to five minutes to do anything really, if we if we budget our time. So it's not that much of a investment in time. I find that I have less excuses not to do it, and. Once it becomes a pattern, just spending that two to three minutes is something that um, this is part of my ritual. So did that answer your question? That's, that's what I do.
0: Yes, that answers my question. Sometimes it's difficult to be consistent for myself, to be consistent with it every day. But, like, sometimes it's yeah. easier to do the breathing portion, just the breathing part of it for two minutes. Because on the Calm app, there's a breathing exercise and it's two minutes long. And that one is easier sometimes, but yeah
1: and you know i and that's that's fantastic. I think participating in something, whether it's breath work um, or you know actually going into a meditation or doing a few minutes of mindfulness, I think that we need to be gentle on ourselves and just know that even doing those breaths is a practice of being mindful, and so you are doing it. I think you know I think. I think we set ourselves up for for failure when we we try and measure against uh, some sort of a expectation of ourselves, so I think I think you know cheer yourself on if you're taking you know a moment to go into your calm app you know or your Breathwork app and do it. That counts um,
0: I, think, you, I so think I think it's easier if you have somebody to keep you accountable and like encourage you to do it, because now I feel like doing it.
1: Yes. Um, Well, technology can be a blessing and a curse, right? So I actually was um, talking with a student who um, just sets an alarm on their phone to remind them to do it. Alarm goes off, they just stop everything and they do it. During the day, they have these little alarms that go off that remind them to just give them that little reminder. So I think whatever works for you to help keep you motivated you know, so that motivated that student to know that it was an appointment that was set, no alarm was going to go off, and it was just going to happen. So um, but that so that alarm, too, acts as accountability. So, um, but, you Nina, know, now that you brought it up, you know, for those of you listening, if you're thinking, okay, it all sounds great, we're going to go into the benefits. I know I hear about it a lot. I read about it a lot. It's on the front of a lot of different magazines, how mindfulness is helpful. But how do I get started? So I would say um, it's, it's not difficult to get started, and I wouldn't be overwhelmed with getting started. And I would also advise that you don't need to have a lot of space or a separate room to start a practice, even a small corner of a room. Just somewhere in your home where you can go and know that's your place to sit and, and be mindful or be aware or take some breaths. So I always recommend when my students start, I, I actually teach a college-level mindfulness class. The first homework assignment I give them is find a place in your home. It can be in your bedroom. It can be somewhere in your home where you have some privacy, where you can set up a space that's just for you. And it can be literally as big as a space where you can just sit somewhere where the, where you can have a comfortable seat, maybe it's a chair, maybe it's a cushion, where you can sit and have a long straight spine. Maybe but it's I I encourage it to be somewhere too where you can actually look at something that you enjoy. So it can be by a window, it can be in a room that has a piece of artwork that you like or a picture that you like, but somewhere where you want to be you know, where you feel that you can just be calm and relaxed. So for me, I like to sit and I do my meditation practice. Like I said, I do it in bed in the morning before I get up. That's just my bed, my, my wake-up routine. Um, but I have next to my desk in my office, I have a little seat where I can look out the window. It's a cushion. It's, it's very, it's supported. It, um, it's somewhere I can sit tall. And I like to look out the window at the trees, and that brings me contentment. So it's not a dedicated room. It's just a place to sit. So that's what I always – but I always have my students find that space. And sometimes it takes a while to walk around and find that, find that space. But then they do, and it's their space where they start um, – they know that that's where they can go. They have a designated place to go and sit. And um, have a few moments to themselves in somewhere that, that makes them happy. So it's somewhere where they enjoy being, they enjoy the scenery, and they're comfortable. Because so I do feel that being comfortable is also important. It's hard to be present and to relax and to feel content if you're not sitting in something that feels good. So. Um, It should be, like I said, supportive of the spine, so long, straight spine, so you can sit up. You should also be able to relax the body, and it should be comfortable. Um, So that's my other recommendation. Um, I actually had a hiking trail near my home where they had a bench. There was a bench on the hiking trail, and I would sometimes go and sit there. So um, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's, I recommend having the same place in your home. But there may be somewhere, Philip, like where you go, where you can just go and sit. Maybe it's a park bench where you enjoy the scenery. And you can just sit and take a few moments for yourself. So um, if I'm at the beach, I find a a bench. There's a bench near the beach where where I live. Um, I can go sit and look out at the water. And I find that very calming and meditative because I like to hear the ripples of the waves. So um, those are just some suggestions. Um, that I have about creating a space where you can start a practice, so Philip, do you have any more um you know regarding you know starting a practice and having somewhere to practice? do you have any questions or or comments for me about that?
0: Um, how long did it take you to become physician
1: at it? well, I would that's a great question so to be you know they say um To learn something is to study it, but to teach something is to master it. So, you know, being that I'm an adult survivor of child abuse and that I had a hard time um, really being able to even engage in my own mindfulness to calm my mind and to be able to regulate my thoughts, um, it it took me some time um, to to get comfortable with the practice because I was so used to being dysregulated. So um, I would say I did my own practice for about a year. And when I was asked to teach the mindfulness course, um, I spent a couple hours a day studying um, for about a month to really, um, really, A, really understand what mindfulness was all about and all the benefits and how to articulate them. And then B, how to walk my class through a mindfulness um, practice, you know, and the class met twice a week for 90 minutes. So, um, and I I became versed on, um, because as you know, there's a lot of different types of meditation and mindfulness practices, but this was also meditation. So, um, I would, uh, you know, I learned to do guided imagery, which is, you know, um, one type of, um, um, meditation practice. Um, I learned how to do, um, uh, meditation for anxiety, meditation when you're stressed, meditation for gratitude. So, um, I tried to, I, you know, I worked hard um, to become diversified um, in, the, in the different types of, of meditation and then mindfulness practices that I was um, teaching. So I would say it was about a month of intense study. Um, but, my, and, but to become, um, you know, I think we've, for me, I first had to practice because I like to practice what I preach. So that overall process took a year, and then it took about a month to get to get really um, masterful at it. Did that I hope that made made sense. Um, but I also had to follow curriculum, so um, that the school set. So that was you know, when you're teaching something and you also go by a curriculum, there's a learning curve there.
0: Oh, okay. Cool. So I hope, sure.
1: hope that made sense. I mean, we did things like you know, mindful movement you know being mindful when you move mindful um eating you know um so um so that was interesting you know cuz how often do we eat on the run you know or we're, we're driving i remember when i was uh, working and i had my kids were really young and you know i felt like i was always throwing french fries in the back seat and i was eating on the go that's not mindful eating that's mindless eating so um Mindful movement, mindful eating, there's just a lot of different, actually, um, um, silos, if you, if you will, areas of of um, mindfulness that I think sometimes we don't even recognize that um, we can turn something into a mindfulness practice. Um, mindfulness communication, that was another um, um, part of the curriculum that we did. You know, are we mindfully communicating? Are we also mindfully responding? Um, So um, uh, one of my favorite um, meditation practices, though, was, um, and I think this is, you know, regarding adults who have child abuse, how to turn um, obstacles, and this was more of a meditation because, like we said, when a a meditation is more targeted um, to a behavior or a thought, um, one of my favorites is is, is actually transitioning obstacles into opportunities. Um, That's one of my favorites. You know, we focus on on turning an obstacle, you know, um, into an opportunity to have that transformation to look at things differently. So, let's talk about some of these benefits. Okay. So, so let me ask you a question. After okay. you. After you do breath work, what do you notice? You know, How do you feel after you do your own meditation or mindfulness practice?
0: Hmm, let me think about this. After I do breath work, how do I feel and what do I notice? Yeah. I feel more in control and more calm and more ready to take on the world. And I notice that I'm not so perturbed or disturbed by things happening in my life. And I notice that I'm more comfortable with my
1: situation. Yeah. Great. What about you? Great. Absolutely. Um, Because I think sometimes, especially in mindfulness, First of all, breathing helps regulate your nervous system. So as you know, you know, a lot of times when we're adult survivors and we've gone through stress our bodies are in fight or flight and we're tense. So even by when I start a practice and I just start focusing on my breathing and I, you know, I I usually have my students, you know, we just we'll breathe in for a count of four, we'll pause for a count of two and we'll exhale for a count of six for about a minute. And that actually helps to um, tap into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest, digest, heal, restore, and so that automatically, within what it does, right? It helps to alleviate stress. It helps to let the body relax, um, and um, and lessen and diminish the tenseness. So the breath work automatically helps to tap into that. Um, but actually, bringing the mind um, into the practice, you know, sometimes if we shy away from our feelings or we don't even acknowledge them, ignoring them makes them also become almost become louder. So, being mindful to me, we're able to turn inward and actually acknowledge what we're feeling. Sometimes when we acknowledge it, just by acknowledging it, it something for me becomes smaller because I'm not hiding from it anymore. I'm actually facing it. And when I face it and I acknowledge it, I give myself permission to become aware of it and to name it, it seems to diminish. It becomes smaller. So when something that's causing me stress, which can cause depression, starts to diminish um, and stops to really manage me, um, I begin to feel more calm, and I feel begin begin to feel more hopeful, and that helps alleviate depression. So that's that's the result for me. Um, as well as it is for a lot of people.
0: Okay, those are some pretty complicated benefits. I don't think I could read you those on my own. I don't think I noticed those on my own.
1: Well, you know, one thing I also tell um, have my students do is before we start a practice, I'll just have them write down three adjectives about how they're feeling. Um, And then after we do the practice, I'll have them write down three adjectives about how they're feeling afterwards. And just by writing down the before and after helps them to recognize the shift. Because no matter how small the practice or what you do, a shift is taking place. So sometimes you just, it's bringing your awareness to that and writing them down afterwards. It helps. So that's another thing that I have my my uh, students do. You have them so, write
0: down the benefits so they notice on a piece of paper.
1: I had them write down the adjectives of how they're feeling, and they a lot of times so, the adjectives turn into benefits. Like sometimes you know I'll see it before. Well, I feel you know I'm I'm stressed you know. Um, I'm, I'm worried about something and I feel I'm feeling anxiety today or I'm feeling nervous. And afterwards, they, write, they might write, well, I'm feeling I feel more calm. You know, I feel more relaxed. Um, so those end up becoming benefits, but it's more about them pulling out those, those ashes and for them to really notice how they're feeling. That makes sense a lot of times what they notice is the benefit, um, but it helps for them to see it on paper. So I always say um, they had a, I always have them have a journal. And a journal doesn't mean, mean to be something that you write a book in. It can be something that you write a few words in. Um, but sometimes I think it's nice to go to a journal and take a look and see in, in writing um, the before and after because it helps the brain register that. Um, it becomes more real, too, I think, when we put it in writing. So here's one thing. Um, there was a study that was done in 2019. And this is for first-time meditators. So these were just people new, the practice of meditation. And they went through 40 days of a mindfulness meditation practice during the study and what they noticed what what the um, the one the people that were connected to the study noticed is that there were significant changes in their brain structure um, that included gray matter volume and cortical sickness those changes of brain structure were linked with lowering depression scores when compared with their subjects in the study that were not meditating that was 40 days. But these were new participants. So I would say 40 days, of a month and a half, a little bit less than a month and a half. Um, I mean, if you think about, I think about in my own, in my own history, I mean, I didn't start healing and, and talking about my abuse until I was 46 years old. That's 40, that was 46 years I was born into it, of pent-up trauma. Um, and a lot of the trauma, you know, led to anxiety, um, a lot of heightened anxiety. For me, when I under, when I started to do um, meditation on my own, um, 40, it, it was the first practice where I felt uh, I felt better. I felt the shift. So forty days, if you think about the study, forty days can actually show significant changes in brain structure. Um. And I felt, you know, when you compare it to 46 years of trauma, that is pretty significant. You know, I think we can, if we can commit to being willing to start trying a mindfulness or a meditation practice every day, um, we can see some pretty significant benefits in a short period of time. I have personally found it very helpful and very impactful. From the first time that I did it. So, Philip, I mean, you mentioned that you you use an app. Would you mind sharing the app that you use, um, even if it's just for breath work?
0: Sure. There's two apps that I use. One is called Balance, and I think Google makes it. And then the other one is Calm, C-A-L-M, and I'm not sure who makes that one. Mm-hmm. And then they're both. They both have a paid and a free version. And I just have the free versions because I can't afford the paid versions. But I like them both about the same. And for Calm app, the Calm app, sometimes there's like a celebrity voice doing the the, the meditation. So for balance, it's just a computer voice.
1: Well, I think that there are – thank you for sharing that. Because I think that there are – that is fabulous. I mean, technology. That's one thing that we just do have the benefit of having technology. Is that there are so many apps and videos now. There are a lot of YouTube videos as well, where you can, for free, look and 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 find mindfulness and meditation practices. Um, there are so many, and you had mentioned. You know, on your calm out, there are different voices of celebrities. My students have given the feedback, and I agree that sometimes it's someone's soothing tone of voice that is really impactful. That is really um, something that is um, uh, that's calming. That is also uh, makes me and my students that have made, they've also made mention of this, this this, tone of voice beckons them to keep repeating the practice. So I would say, you know, if you're starting out and you're curious and like to start a mindfulness or meditation practice, do a little bit of research on the internet um, and on the apps, within the app store. Um, Ask Ask around. Um, There's so much direction. There's so many offerings out there um, that don't cost money, um, and you can decide what you like and what you don't like. Uh, you have a choice. You can decide which voice soothes you and which voice, that, you know, irritates you. Um, so that is um, something that. And thank thank you, Phil, for bringing that up because for me, it's not only the content when I'm doing my meditation mindfulness. Um, it's also the tone of the voice and the person who's delivering the practice. So, um, and what works for one person might not work for somebody else. So um, find, I have found myself and Philip, I don't know if this is true for you or not, but there are just several different individuals whose mindfulness meditation practices I follow where I, not only do I like the content and the way that they deliver their practice, but I like the tone of their voice. And even the pace of their voice, so that also draws me in um, and with so once I've found there's a couple a couple um, practitioners that I follow they have a lot of different material in terms of different meditation practices that they do so I can I can I don't do necessarily the same one every day sometimes I do but sometimes I like to switch it up um, so um, I would invite you know anybody listening to just to just um, do a little bit of exploration um, and and see what you like and what works for you um, and you may be able to find one or two practitioners where and um, that's all you need and and that that can serve you um, very well as you engage in your practice so um, you know that's that's something that um, I also have encouraged my students to do um, is to find what works for them and um, it's their homework they they do they're required to do it, but the feedback that I found is once they do the homework, once they find it, and then they part part of the homework also is continuing on a practice through the quarter. Um, I don't think there was one student that decided that said, "I'm going to stop doing this because I haven't found any benefit." They all continued on after the course was over. So um, there's some food for thought there. So, Philip, did you um, have any other comments or questions before I move on?
0: Um, I don't think so.
1: Great. Well, one of the things that I will admit um, and acknowledge as an adult survivor of child abuse and in, in my own healing and recovery was that I didn't realize until I started my recovery how um A how much I had dissociated um in my life um, through my abuse as in which sort of as a child meaning um I my I was numb. I my memory was um I block I have a I blocked out a lot of years of memories um because I had I had that was my survival tool and I had also um frozen my body. Um, I couldn't feel anything. Um, I couldn't feel pain. Um, And so um, I call that, you know, I would term that um, I was disconnected because that is something that served me well as a child, to disconnect from the abuse, to survive it. um, That served me. But as an adult, um, my attention span was very limited. My mind would wander all the time. Um, I also um, couldn't feel pain, so I couldn't connect with my body, and I ended up, <clears throat> excuse me, suffering injuries um, that became more significant because you can't feel the pain initially. You know, you're, you don't feel the pain until your body is screaming at you. Um, so that was also a numbing, a part of dissociation, and I also had anxiety. Um, I couldn't calm my mind, so I had suffered from anxiety my entire life, starting as um, very, I don't to say as my earliest memory as a toddler. I had anxiety and panic attacks. And when I would become angry, I had a hard time controlling um, in my internal volatility. So um, what I found through mindfulness meditation is that over time, that I was able to start connecting my mind back to my body. I actually started to feel different things in my body. My sense, that's called your sense of interoception, interoception, being able to feel your body, to feel thirst and hunger and where pain is. Um, I became to reconnect with that and be able to actually, my body started to come more alive and connect to my mind. I also started to be able to actually recall more memories, um, which was good and bad. So those repressed memories started coming forward. Um, But I think I call it good because I needed to work through them, um, through the trauma. Um, So by remembering them, I was able to process. And I really believe that the mindfulness, being able to calm my mind enough to open up those memories, because of the fact that the mindfulness meditation calmed the mind. Um, I was able to also, what happened is I, my anxiety, not only did I have physical anxiety and panic attacks during the day, but at night when I was asleep, my earliest memory, I would have nightmares every night. And once I started in a combination of, of talk therapy and a mindfulness practice, About, I would say, a couple months in, my my nightmares um, stopped. So I was able to calm the mind um, by doing my daily meditation, but the benefits carried over into the night. So when they say better sleep quality, for me that was better sleep quality because I was not having the nightmares anymore. Um, But also what's really, for me, just integrating the mind through the meditation, through the mindfulness, and through the breath work, um, I no longer, I was able to, um, and I kind of covered this when I said my, you know, part of my curriculum was was communication, be more mindful of my communication, mindful of my own response. They're mindful of my emotions. I have more control over my emotions. I was able to sit and stop and pause and then um, um, integrate my thoughts before I responded. This all happened through a uh, large part through meditation mindfulness so and these are i've stated a lot of the benefits that i in my own um, you know um, practice and in my own my own um, journey um, And these are also all the benefits that that I mentioned at the beginning of the show just that have been documented. Um, But, Philip, I'm just wondering if if any of that has resonated with you or what your thoughts are on what I've just shared.
0: Well, um, I think that a culmination of effort and work, like, yields a harvest, you know. So I think that Mm -hmm. it's good that you noticed that you, you felt all those benefits from it. And um, I don't know if I've been meditating long enough to feel benefits. The only benefits I feel are immediately after and during. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll take a while for the long-term is, benefits to catch up.
1: Which is great. Which Which is great. And, you know, this, here's a great, um, there's a great quote. By um, a very famous, um, I, I believe he's a psychiatrist. Um, he's a, a trauma survivor. He's a Holocaust survivor. He's also a medical doctor. His name is Dr. Gabor Mate. Do you know? I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Gabor Mate, but this is his quote. So I need to to do. Uh, um, I, I need to give credit where credit is due, and he said, you know, he practices mindfulness and meditation every day, twice a day. Because he said, staying conscious is daily work. Keeping your mind calm. That's what he's saying. Staying conscious, staying your mind being integrated. It's daily work. It's something, and I agree, I work at it every day. It's something that, that's why it's called a practice. It's just something that's done every day. You know, you can't meditate, you know, a couple times, um, And think that you're going to be healed and it's going to, you're going to be fine and you don't need to do it anymore. It's like practice. It's like, I mean, look at our sports teams. Look at anything that we do. We need to continue to practice to remain sharp, to keep the skill set sharp and to keep ourselves, um, um, you know, ready, game ready, you know. And so this is the same with mindfulness meditation. It's something that, how, it's done every day. It's a practice. It's a practice done every day. And there have been times when I have gone on vacation and or been very, very busy on the deadline that a few days will go by or I've had company in town. A few days will go by and I haven't done it. Or, or I've tried it in the morning, but I haven't been very focused because I have all these other things that are coming at me. You know, When you have visitors, it's very hard to close the door and be alone for a while when you're hosting um, or my kids are in town from college vacation or it's the holidays um, and everything is hustle and bustle. Um, and I'll tell you that I do notice um, that my, you know, my anxiety starts, starts to become a little bit more heightened and um, occasionally I'll have a, you know, a nightmare um, during that time. So I do notice that um, um, if I don't do it, um, that um, I, I noticed the consequences of that. Um, and so um, that is, I think, a great quote by Dr. Mate is that staying conscious, it is daily work. It is daily work. It is something that's a practice. It's something that's done every day. Um, and that it's a, it's a lifelong thing. And for me, um, and I've accepted that, and luckily I enjoy it. And I think that it can be and it is enjoyable. Um, but it is it is my medicine, you know. It is the medicine for my mind, and I think of it that way, and I do it every day, and it's my medicine, and it helps me, and that's the way that I, I approach it, um, and that's uh, a part of life, um, and because I see the benefits when I do it, and I notice um, when I uh, what happens to me, and um, my and uh, my mind when I don't um it keeps me on track to do it and to remember to do it. So, you know, you mentioned you mentioned, you know, doing it longer, doing it more. I would just say that I, I do think that, that that um when we can wrap our, our our brains around the fact that something is a practice that is done daily. Um um and that and that, you know we don't have we'll never you know, no one's perfect at it, you know but it's something that we have to work we have to work for work towards all the time. Um I think it's you know it's the expectation is set. Um, and it's in its uh, for me I've been more mindful of the fact that I it's it's just part of a routine. It's a daily occurrence. So what do you think of that quote Philip, you know, um being conscious of daily work?
0: Um, well, I'm enjoying the work that I've done in the past because it's paid off, so I'm a good believer in daily work.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So, let's talk, talk about a little bit more about neuroplasticity or cognitive flexibility um i was very intrigued by the whole concept of neuroplasticity before i started my own healing journey i've been in it 6 years now i didn't even know what that was um so what is neuroplasticity? Well, it's basically we can rewire our brain. Our brain, our brain, is um, pliable, if you will. Um, so we can work towards molding it in a different way. Um, so to me, what that means is my past experience. Um, does not necessarily um, equate to my future my future experience um, my mind has the power to um, to change um, which to me was so i was i felt like i'd won the lottery when I realized that because going through life and a lot of us as you know are don 't go through the healing process until we 're uh, the average age in this country is 52 years old of actually starting to do the work and uh, come to grips with it and start the recovery process. Um, that's a lot of a lot of pain, um, a lot of anxiety, and a lot of uh, um, being frozen state of fight or flight, a lot of energy. Um, and so to me that was, I was so hopeful, you know, that, that I wasn't always destined to be like this, that there was hope, um, that my mind could be healed, um, that I could live a different kind of a life, a more content life. So um, the breath work and the mindfulness plays a huge role in neuroplasticity, and I already mentioned one of the studies um, talking about um, subjects that went uh, that were basically mindfulness naive or meditation, I mean, they'd never done it before. And after 40 days showing significant brain activity in terms of that neuroplasticity um, and uh, those benefits taking shape. So um, how do we do that, though? What happens in our mind? Um, Where is the shift? Um, Well, one of the shifts that happens during mindfulness is decreasing rumination. Um, so what is rumination? Well, that's, you know, depressive symptoms, um, depressive thoughts. So um, we can lessen and reduce rumination through mindfulness. There was another study that in 2008, there were 20... Um, Again, novice meditators. So these were study subjects. These were people that entered the study that had never meditated before. Um, they did a 10-day intensive mindfulness meditation retreat. After the retreat, they had significantly higher self-report of mindfulness and decreased negative effects compared with those that didn't um, meditate. They experienced fewer depressive symptoms and less rumination. In addition, those who meditated during this retreat had significantly better working memory capacity and they were able to sustain attention during a performance task compared to the control group. So, um, to me, that's also an example of, of neuroplasticity. This was 10 days. It was an intense, intensive mindfulness retreat, but to me, 10 days, is that is, Pretty impactful. So, Philip, I'm curious. I have. I did not when I was in. Well, throughout my life before I started um, going through my healing process, um, my recovery journey, and starting a mindfulness practice, I had a really hard time focusing. Um, I would you know, started in kindergarten. I couldn't focus in school. I had to go to, like, a speech therapist. Or I had to go to the special, I don't know, Mrs. Barker was this lady that worked with kids that had learning disabilities. I don't think they knew how to diagnose them at the time, so I just had to go a couple times a week. Um, it is said that children that live in abusive homes have higher incidence um, of learning disabilities um, I believe I had ADHD at the time. I had inability to focus. I couldn't read a book um going through grade school without my mind wandering. So I had some serious focus um issues and I'm curious is you ever experienced that because I've read a lot of I've heard a lot of different you know, people mention that as adult survivors they had a harder time focusing in school and I'm wondering if that was the case for you.
0: Yes, and it's still the case for me. And I think where that comes from is, like, not wanting to pay attention because of all the abuse we're going through.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And also, I have to yeah, leave exactly. because I'm going to an NA meeting.
1: Okay, no problem. I appreciate you calling in. Thank you.
0: Are you going to keep to the show tonight, or are you going to hang up, too?
1: I think I'm going to go for a few more minutes and wrap it up if you're going to go, because we've been going for almost an hour.
0: Okay, sorry, sorry to cut it short.
1: Also, you know, I appreciate you calling in. Thank you, Philip.
0: Have a good night, okay?
1: You too. Thanks. Goodbye. Bye-bye. So, you know, in summary, um, there is an increased focus um, through uh, mindfulness meditation practices as well as less emotional reactivity and cognitive flexibility Um, I'll just close by saying mindfulness has been shown to enhance self-insight, morality, intuition, and fear modulation. So it helps um, with the brain's middle prefrontal um, lobe area. We know in terms of trauma can be impacted significantly. Um, I would say if you um, have not Engaged or ever tried a mindfulness or meditation practice um, that's okay um, you don 't need to be a guru or have a background to enjoy the benefits of meditation and mindfulness um, um, it's okay to um, decide try it for the first time um, there are there is no Prerequisite, you know, there are no skill sets that are required to start. Just the willingness and the curiosity um, to figure out what it's all about, and to try it a few times. Um, whether it's for two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, um, uh, there's a shift. There is benefit um, every time we engage in a mindfulness practice. It can be just as simple as doing some breath work for a minute or two to doing um, a shorter or a longer practice. Um, but every little bit that we participate in, um, whether we realize it or not, is helpful, is beneficial. So I would encourage you as, um, as I sign off, um, find a place in your home where you can make your mindfulness meditation space. Find a place that doesn't have to be that big where you're comfortable, where you enjoy being, where there's scenery that you can find contentment um, and something that you like spending time um, um, and looking um, at, at um, the landscape, whether it's out a window or a picture or a painting, um, Have a special space for you. Um, Find a meditation practice or a mindfulness practice um, either um, in a class or online that you can connect with. Um, That's important. There's so much out there, um, and you don't need to spend any money. Whether you feel more comfortable looking at an app or going on YouTube or just surfing uh, Google or even asking Siri, um, there are so many tools out there for us now um, i would I would um, strongly suggest you know be curious um, and uh, and see what it's all about um, a little bit um, can help um, and as you build your practice, um, uh, make it a daily routine. make it part of your medicine, your healing as a part of your healing journey so Thank you so much for being with me this evening. As I always say when I sign off, there are enough adult eyes and ears on this planet to keep every single one of our children safe. So if you see something, if you hear something, please say something, do something. It's all of our responsibility. Well, thank you and good night. I'll know
0: tomorrow, cause that's on-
1: Lost Talk Radio.